Fantastic. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just to give you a heads up, last week we were going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Today we're going through another book. Another book starts with E, and it's Exodus. And we're going to be looking at Moses, the life of Moses, for the all through the month of February. In March, we're going to be looking at Joshua. So we're going to be covering the first couple of books of the Bible. I hope you hang out with us and learn with us. I want to tell you, as we kind of go through and we start this new series called Momentum, I want to talk about being stuck. One of the cool things um, about my childhood and growing up, my dad works for the airlines. And uh, he uh, has been working for the airlines since 1967. And um, the good thing about that is I, when I was 25 and below, I got to fly for free anywhere. All right. So I've been to Hawaii like four or five times. I know it's tough. Um, I have been able to go to Israel. That cost me like 180 bucks to go to Israel. Uh, it was amazing. I loved flying on airplanes. I've probably flown on maybe 700 airplanes, not trying to exaggerate, but that's probably it. Um, probably somewhere around that number. And I loved it. Grew up around it. I remember going to airports, you know, when they didn't have jetways and you'd have to go on the tarmac. And I love the smell of the engine fuel. I'm a little crazy like that. I love, we, we would go to Orlando. We would fly to uh, Colorado and hang out in Denver. And the good thing about this, it's non-rev or buddy passes. How many of y'all ever flown on a buddy pass or standby before? All right. Let me tell you, you know what I'm talking about. When you fly standby, it's either really awesome or it stinks. Right? Because if, if they have a seat... You get to go. And if they don't have a seat, you're staying where you're at. All right? Now, that's great if you're staying where you're at and you're like in Nashville. But I got to tell you, there was for almost a week, we were stranded in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is when there was nothing in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I remember for six days, we were stranded in the LAX airport in Los Angeles trying to get to Hawaii. And, um, and again, some of y'all who've been stranded, you, you probably, you know, you get bumped off and then you go get a hotel. That's not how we did it. We stayed at the airport for six days. I mean, some of you are going, ooh, that's Yankee. You better believe it. All right? Because there's always that next, that there's always that hope that you're going to get on the next flight, right? So you're sticking around and you're, you've been wearing the same clothes you've been wearing for six days. Dear Jesus. Right. I mean, it is some now I remember last time my wife and I when uh, in 97, we went to Hawaii to graduate. It was like a graduation gift from graduating seminary. And we got over there fine. And then we were trying to come back. It was spring break. And of course, everybody and their brother was trying to get on or off the island. And we were stuck in Hawaii. Now, that's great getting stuck in Hawaii, except I had I had exams on Hebrew and Jonah like the next week. And I was stressing. I was. There's something about being stuck, either in Charlotte or LAX, or maybe you're not stuck maybe in a location, but maybe you just feel stuck spiritually. You've kind of been hanging out and you've been doing this thing with God for a while and you just feel stuck. There's no momentum. There's no movement. Some of you, you feel stuck in relationships. And you said, I did, and it's done, right? And now you wished you didn't, and you feel stuck. Some of you, you're stuck when it comes to just in, in, in relationships with friendships. 
and you just don't feel like you got friends who are loyal around you, and you just feel stuck. I'm telling you, this series is for you because we're talking about how to get momentum in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual life. There's two things that we're going to be looking at in the life of Moses. We're going to be looking at the idea of getting unstuck, but we're also going to be looking at the life of how we can become better leaders because God has called us all to be leaders. If you're a husband, God has called you to be a leader. If you're a a lady who's single, God has called you to be a leader. If you're in high school, God has called you to be a leader exactly where you're at, either on the football team or maybe in chess club, or if you were like me, I'm a band geek. This past week, come on now, this past week I spoke at FCA at Clarksville High School. That's my alma mater. I haven't been there in 23 years. I walked in the Clarksville High School's doors, and I'm like, this place has changed, right? I mean, I was amazed, and I was kind of floored through it. But wherever you're at in your season of life, God has called you to lead. And the thing we want to look at as we look at Moses' life is how all of us, can we can become better leaders. So if you have your Bibles, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 1. Now, if you have version, you can flick out your phones and you can look at it on there. If you don't have a, a web-enabled device, um, and if you need a Bible, we give away Bibles for free here at One Church. And Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Anybody know what the first book is? Very good. Which means if we're going to understand what's going on in Exodus, we've got to go back to Genesis. Now, the word Genesis means beginnings beginnings, because this is where it all begins. I'm going to give you a 60-second overview of the book of Genesis. God created everything, and out of all that creation, God chose one person, and he said, I'm going to make you a nation. The The person God chose, his name was Abraham. And God told Abraham and Sarah, you are going to have kids, which was kind of great, except they were older than dirt. Okay, they were like 80, 90 years old. And when God said, you're going to have kids, Sarah laughed. In fact, that's what you do, right? If you're 80 years old, you're going to have children, you're either going to laugh or cry. Those are your options. And because she laughed, God says, you know what? Your child, you're going to name him laughter. It's a good thing she laughed. I mean, imagine if she had cried, you're going to name your child weep, weeper, right? Fine, all right. So, so he, uh, the child gets born. His name is Isaac, which in Hebrew means laughter. All right, And God promised Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land that I am promising you. In fact, what they called that land was the promised land. You know why they called it the promised land? Because God had promised it to them. Thank you very much. All right, Now, so God told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have all these kids. And your, your children are going to multiply, and eventually they're going to multiply so much they're going to be put into bondage. But don't worry, I'm going to raise somebody up to get them out of bondage. And that is exactly what happened. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. Isaac had a boy by the name of Jacob. Jacob, middle of his life, he started wrestling with God. And because he wrestled with God, God changed his name from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel. And Israel had a lot of ites, 12 kids, right? The Israelites, these 12 children. And one of his children named Joseph was sold into slavery because all of his brothers hated him, all right? And he was sold into slavery, eventually got to a land by the name of Egypt. And through a long uh, uh, story of events, Joseph works his way up the ladder and he becomes vice president of the entire country of Egypt. And uh, God sends a famine 
in the land. And because of Joseph's shrewdness and his wisdom and his his dependence upon God, he saves the entire known world through this famine. And all of the Israelites, Israel and those other 11 guys, they move their way, 70 of them and their entire family, to Egypt. Where for the next 400 years, these 70 people multiply into 2 million people. 2 million people. And when we come to Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, what we're going to be seeing is these 2 million people are in serious, serious trouble. This is what it says. Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about who? Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and they're stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. They will escape um, if we don't. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and to make bricks and to do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. 400 years ago, God made a promise. But that promise was 400 years old. And 400 years has passed, and now it seems God is silent. I mean, you think about that, 400 years. Imagine if you've been in, Israel, if you've been in Egypt, you're working as a slave, and somebody starts talking to you about Abraham, and you start joking. That was 400 years ago. Let's put this in perspective. How old is our country? 200 and something, right? I can't do the math on the fly. Here's the thing. 400 years ago, we're talking Christopher Columbus, right? That's a long time ago. And that is the mindset God's people had. I mean, God in his promises seem like it's ancient. And God has forgotten us. And times are so dark, they're getting so bad. And here, the Pharaoh, the reason why he's making it difficult is because he's afraid of losing power. Let me tell you, leaders who are afraid of losing power, they have a tendency to go crazy. You don't believe me? I mean, you think about this. Those who are a little bit older, maybe you're at my age, if you remember Nixon... I mean, Nixon, I mean, he was the sitting president in office, yet he got the whole scandal of Watergate is because he was afraid of losing power. Tell you, there's something there. And and this Pharaoh is so afraid of losing power. Not only is he, I mean, working them to death, now we're getting ready to see he's going to make it illegal, illegal for Hebrew men and women to have boys. Look at this in verse 22. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. But you can let the girls live. Now let's hang out for a sec. Let's talk about this. You've recently gotten pregnant. You've been carrying this child inside of you for nine months. And there's a 50-50 chance that this little child living inside of you is going to be murdered. That's a hopeless situation. 
And the day comes, your water breaks, there's excitement, but there's also dread because you don't know, is this going to be a boy or a girl? And the soldiers are there and they're waiting. I mean, what do you do? This is a hopeless situation. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're living in a hopeless situation right now. And for some of you, it centers around children. You've been trying to get pregnant, and you've been trying, and you've been trying, but you're not, you can't, you don't. And you feel like there's a part of you that's just been, that's just empty, and it's just thrown away, and that you're less of a person because of this, and you are living in a hopeless situation. Others of you, you've been trying to get pregnant, and you do get pregnant, but then through a miscarriage... You lose the child, and not only have you lost the child, but you've lost your hopes and your dreams as well. For others of you, you have that hopelessness based, and it's still based around a child, but your child, when they were born, there's something wrong with them. And you just, you can't fix it. And the doctors, they either have an answer for you, and you don't like the answer, and they've labeled your child, or they're coming up with no answers. And you're living in a hopeless situation. For others of you, it has nothing to do with a child. It has everything to do with a relationship, though. Because you have a spouse who's saying, Asta lasagna and get out of here. And le- I'm leaving God and I'm leaving you. And there's something there that you can't fix when it comes to your marriage. And you've got a spouse who's wanting to walk out the door and you are stuck. You are in a hopeless situation. For others of you, your hopeless situation is based around a job. Maybe that you can't find one. Maybe that you have one and you feel trapped in it and you feel like it's a dead end. A hopeless situation. The thing I'm praying for you and I today is that we will be able to see it's in hopeless situations that God does His best work. The darker the times are, the brighter the light shine. I mean, when I was in seminary at the time, I went to Dallas Seminary, and I lived in Dallas for four years, and I never saw a star while I was living in Dallas. And I, and I love nature, I'm a big canoeing dude, and I love canoeing and stuff like that. I love going out, and in Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the handiwork of God. And I love going outside and look at stars in Dallas. I never saw one. You know why? All the city lights, right? Yet, if you go out to East Texas and you look up, you can see thousands of them. And there's a great principle there that the darker your life is, the more God wants to shine in that. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 13 and 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The darker your job is, the darker your situation is, the darker your school is, the dark, whatever darkness you're in, you better believe that God does his best work in darkness. That's what we're getting ready to see. And let's look into this. I love this. And it reminds me of the story of Corey Ten Boom. How many of y'all ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? Have you ever heard, heard that? Kind of a weird name. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Corrie ten Boom was a Dutch Christian. And uh, she lived during the occupation of Nazis in, in World War II. And uh, Corrie ten Boom wasn't a Jew, but her family, godly Christian family, decided, you know what? As the Nazis were uh, coming up and, and huddling around the, the Jews and wanting to ship them off, she and her family decided, you know what? We're going to protect them and we're going to hide them. Here's a picture of Corrie ten Boom 
when she was uh, older in life. Well, the Nazis found out about this and through an informant on February the 28th, 1944 at midnight, the Nazis came in her house and took an entire family away and imprisoned them. Ten days after the imprisonment, her dad gets killed. And her and her sister, Betsy, Corey and Betsy, were sent to a political concentration camp in the Netherlands and finally to the notorious Ravensbrück concentration camp in Germany on December 16th, 1944, where Betsy dies. And before she died, this is what Betsy told Corey. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Well, Corey was released... On New Year's Eve, on December 1944, and in the movie The Hiding Place, Tin Boom narrates this, this lady that you see here, and she, she says she was released because of a clerical error and that just a week later, all of the little girls that were her age and older were sent to the gas chambers. But yet she gets saved. It's this woman who's experienced tremendous death her father being killed, her sister being killed. Listen to what she says about dark times. God does not have problems, only plans. Let me give you another quote. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And this quote right here I like a lot. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. Some of you... You're just living in darkness right now. I mean, it's, you're wondering, is, does God even listening? Is he even there? I mean, it's, you're in a hopeless situation. What do you do when you get into hopeless situations? You trust God. That's not an easy answer. That's not a Sunday school answer. But I promise you, that's the only thing you can do. You trust God and you got to believe that God is working behind the scenes in your life. He is working behind the scenes. You trust in his word that says, you know what? He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. When you're in a hopeless state, you trust God, even though you don't see him work. That's what you do. So Pharaoh, hopeless situation, chapter 2, verses 23, 25. That's what it says. But the Israelites continued to groan. Everybody groan for me. That sounds like my teenager. All right. They groaned under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning. What did God hear? He heard it. That's huge. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. That's 400 years before. He looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew what? It was time to act. That is key, y'all. That is what we're talking about. These Israelites, even though it's dark, God is working behind the scenes. And that's our big idea today. Let's look at it. God is involved in the events of our lives, both big and small. Let's all say that. God is involved in the events of our lives, both big and small. Whether it's the bigs or the smalls, he's in it. Nothing takes him by surprise. Now let's talk about the bigs for a little bit. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, he says this. He says, For he gives sunlight to both the evil and to the good, and he sends rain out on the just and the unjust alike. It's easy for us to believe that God's involved in the bigs of our lives. 
that God is in control. Even though all of this stuff is taking place and everything's kind of flying off at the seams in the very beginning of Exodus, God is in control and he's working behind the scenes. And we've got to believe that this idea... In fact, I want to show you just a theological concept that's really jacked up. All right, It's called this. It's called deism. Deism is the belief that God created the world and then abandoned it. And I wish I could do this. I, I don't play basketball, but if I could take a basketball and I could put it on my finger and I could just spin it and spin it and just walk away and let that ball drop, that's what deists believe. That God got the world spinning and then he just walked away and it's all falling apart. That is not what we believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God got it spinning and he is intricately involved in the bigs and the smalls of every person's events, life, and circumstances. That we don't believe in karma, we don't believe in luck, and there ain't no reason you need to be reading your horoscope. Seriously. If y'all are reading your horoscope, you're wasting your time. You're better off reading the funny pages. And, and, and reading some great comics to laugh than you reading your horoscope. Because nobody cares if you're an Aquarius. Really. Your life is not based on whether it's going to be good or bad by a fortune cookie. Y'all hear what I'm saying? God is in control and it has nothing to do with karma. It has nothing to do with any of this stuff. It's that God is working behind the scenes in the bigs and the smalls. That's the truth. And that's what God wants us to understand. And some of you, your pushback is, okay, wait a minute, Chris. If that's the case, then you tell me why all of this stuff starts happening. You tell me why a year ago this month that everything hit the fan when you lived in Japan. And there's all kinds of earthquakes and tsunamis and all of this stuff. You tell me, where is God in that? And you know, the best thing I can answer for you is some stuff I just don't know. I can't give you easy answers. But I know that my God has a plan. I don't want to give you some homework. Romans 8, chapter 8, uh, chapter 8, verses 18 through 39. Go home and read it. Because one of the things you and I need to understand, that the reason why everything got so jacked up had nothing to do with God walking away. It had everything to do with our choices and that we've jacked it up. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I got three boys. All of them love Star Wars. All right. Don't know why I did a gang sign. I don't know. All right. Well, <laughs> I got my four-year-old, my son, Bing. He's four years old. Um, he got a little Anakin the other day in, in a little Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan's arm fell off yesterday. I know. And he's going, Dad, Obi-Wan's arm fell off. I'm like, why did it fall off? He says, I pulled it off. You know, and my kids think it's fun to take their Star Wars toys and all of them decapitated and stuff. I'm like, what's that? It's a lightsaber wound. <laughs> no, you done broke your toy. But follow me. That's, that's what we do with God. It's like God is our parent. He gives us stuff. We bust it up and then we blame God. Y'all know what I'm saying? That is how it, it works. This world is not supposed to be like this. He didn't create it like this. You and I jacked it up. All right. And if you didn't jack it up, somebody else did. But it's because of us. That's what he's saying. And many times we ask those hard why questions. All of us have done that. If God is God, then why? 
God, if you're really God, then why is all of this stuff happening if you love and care for me? God, if you are good, then why don't you step in and make things right in my marriage? Why don't you keep my spouse from leaving? God, if you're really good, why don't you ride in on a white horse and fix all this stuff? Let me just be honest with you. And what I'm getting ready to share from you is from a book by Judd Wilhite, and it's called Torn. And this is what he says. That even if we knew the answers to the why questions, it wouldn't be enough. That even if God showed up and we asked those hard why questions, you know what that would lead us to have more of? More why questions. God, why did you allow this to happen? And he told us. And then we would ask, then, then why did this? And it just leads to more why questions. Why questions aren't the answer. And if you continually insist to ask why questions, you will get stuck in your spiritual walk with God. I guarantee it. Let me give you a better question to answer, rather than why. And it's how. It's the who, excuse me. Not why did all this happen, but when it's happening, who are you going to trust in? Who are you going to put your faith in? Who, even though the wheels are falling off of your life, who is worthy of your trust and your worship? That's a better question to ask. Because really, at the end of the day, there are no guarantees. In fact, Romans 8.28 says this. This is going to be on the screen. And we know that in all things, everybody say all things. All things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I shudder sharing this verse to you because some of you, it don't feel like good right now. It just doesn't feel good. And this verse is not saying only good things are going to happen to you. That's not what it's saying. In fact, the Bible says that we as Christians, we're going to suffer. Why? Because Jesus suffered. But what he guarantees is this. Even though we have hard times and dark times and suffering, God's going to somehow make it good. He's somehow going to bring everything together and everything is going to be made for good for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a promise. But it takes time. And it takes going through some difficult times and having people walk through you through some difficult times and not asking the why, but asking the who. That is the key. God is involved in the events of our lives, both big and small. Now, here's the thing. Going back to Exodus chapter 2, things are as bad as they could get. But God is working behind the scenes. And little did they know that just, just a few days ago, a little baby boy was born who was going to change the course of their history. Let's look at it. Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. God sets the stage for his leader. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Now, who are these people? I mean, a man and a woman, who are these people? They're Moses' parents. We don't know their names yet. We will eventually. We don't even know Moses' name yet. We will in a little bit. But God is setting this dark time for a light to shine. Now, this is interesting. It's Moses' parents. And these two people that are mentioned here are people of faith. In fact, this is what Hebrews 11.23 says about them. It was by faith. Everybody say faith. Faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. 
they saw that God had given him, given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Now, I want to stop and just do just a quick huddle right here. Moses was a man of faith because his parents were parents of faith. Do y'all know how important that is? You see, let me just dispel a myth here. Your, your kids, by bringing them to one church, aren't going to get any more spiritual than you are spiritual. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm telling you, if you want your children to grow up loving God and following hard after God, then you better be a parent who loves God and follows hard after God. Because your children will not exceed your spiritual results and your spiritual expectations. They won't. If you want to know how godly your children are going to be, look in the mirror. You see, so many times we think, I'll bring our kids to church. And the preacher or or, or teachers will teach them about Jesus. Let me tell you what Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy. He wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that the responsibility of training and teaching our children goes to the parents. It's our job. And you want to know, if, you're, if you want your children to be godly men and women, then you better be a godly man or woman. When they wake up and they come downstairs and they're wanting breakfast, they need to see you on your knees reading your Bible. It's that simple. You need to be in God's Word and don't expect them to be in God's Word if you're not. Y'all hear what I'm saying? This is key, people. This is key. And the reason why God used Moses so greatly is because he had wonderful, faith-filled parents, even when God asked them to do something really, really unusual, like give up their child. Look at what it says. It says this. It says, um, well, I'm, I'm going to tell the story, and then I'll get to this. What happens is Moses' his, his parents... Uh, he, he gets born, three months happens, you know, the, uh, and they can't hide the kid anymore. He's starting to cry and all this stuff. So they decide they're going to take this boat. Um, they're going to take this big, like, thing. And it says in verse 3, But when she could hide him no longer, she got a basket made from papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Now, some of the, the movies you'll see, you know, she like, she, she pushes the thing off, and it's going through the river, and alligators, eh. It's not what it does. What does the Bible say? She, she pitched and tarred it, right? She waterproofed it, and then she just laid it amongst the reeds right next to the bank. And there's a reason why she did that, because she had been praying, and she had been looking, and wanting God to be... And, she knew somebody was going to show up there. She was thinking ahead. And look at this. I love this. The baby's sister, we don't even know her name. Her name is Miriam. We're going to find that out later. Stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Let me tell you, God is involved in the bigs and the smalls of our life. Even in the dark times, God is working. So this boy, special boy, they put him in this little boat. And he's right there next to the bank on the reeds. And Pharaoh's daughter, the same guy who's trying to kill all these people, his daughter shows up and she starts taking a bath. We don't know how old she was. She may have been a little kid. She may have been older. But she hears this little baby crying. And she goes up and she opens up the little lid and it's like, oh, goo, goo, ga, ga, ga. You know what I'm saying? When we get around kids, we do some crazy stuff, don't we? I wonder if those kids are ever going, what, what are these people talking about? Goo goo gaga, right? But I mean, oh, that's cute. And what happens? She picks this little baby up, and her heart is immediately touched. 
and, and, and she realizes, I've got to do something about this. That is so cool. I love that. I love that. And I'm just telling you, during these dark times, God is working. We see it here in the story that it's no accident that Moses was born for such a time as this. And some of you, let me tell you where you're at right now. You feel like your life is an accident. And it may be because maybe your parents weren't planning on you. You may have been born out of wedlock. Um, You may have been the product of an affair. But you need to know this, that God has a plan for your life and that you're no accident to him. Do you all hear what I'm saying? You're no accident. You've got to believe that. Let me tell you the reason why. If you you believe your life is an accident, then you're going to live life like your life is an accident. After one accident to the next. Let me tell you what uh, uh, the psalmist says about, about you and about your birth. Listen to this. Oh, yes, you shaped me, the, your, the first inside and out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You are breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something like an open book. You watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life were all prepared before I'd even lived one day. You're no accident. Not at all. God planned on you. And not only did God plan on you, God has a plan for you. Just like he did and had a plan for Moses. Going back to Exodus chapter 2. Then the baby sister approached the princess while she's holding, holding Moses. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. And what does the princess say? Yes, do, the princess replied. Now, I want you to see, look what happens. This is amazing. So the girl went and called who? The mom. Now, this is huge. All right, gets the mom, and then the princess says, I want you to take this baby. Now, whose baby is this? Hers. I, I just found this little baby here. Will you take it? Sure. I'll take it and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. And what's, what's going to happen? I will, come on now. I, not only do you get to get your child back, but I'm going to pay you for nursing him. That's the fascizzle right there. That is awesome. And let me tell you something. This is so huge. We, we've been learning about this, that you can't outgive God. Many times when God asks us to give him something, what's going to happen is when we have enough faith to really give it to him, you know what many times what happens? He gives it to us right back. That's exactly what he did in Moses' mom's situation. His mom had faith, gives little Mo away. And guess what? She gets back in return. Moses, and she's getting some dollars for it. And not only that, now her little boy is safe. That's something. You can't outgive God. When God did something very similar with Moses we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. God told Moses, I want you to throw down your staff. So he gave his staff to God. And then he says, I want you to go and pick up my staff, God's staff. And when he picked that staff up, you know what that staff could do now? It could part red seas. It could turn the water into blood. It could do all of this amazing stuff. And he gave it away only to get it right back. But now, now that he's got it back, it can do some amazing things. 
We've been talking about that. And I had this one, you know, we're, we're talking about the 90-day tithe challenge here at One Church. I had this one lady in between the services said, you know what? We've been really inconsistent in our tithing, but we've been doing it. And my, my, my husband's not been able to get a promotion. We've been waiting for him to get promoted in the army. We started tithing the next week. He gets promoted. He says, you can keep your money. He says, it ain't, my, it ain't your money and it ain't, it's God's money. And God has already blessed us through that. Now, it doesn't happen that way every time. But I'm telling you, you cannot outgive God. And many times when we give something to God, God gives it right back to us. And when he gives it back to us, now we can do something with it. Why? Because God is working behind the scenes. Verse 7. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who, what's that next word? Adopted. Everybody say adopted. Who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses. By the way, the word Moses means to draw out. Because she took the boy out of the basket, out of the river, so they named him out of Moses. All right, that's what it means. So here, now this is what's so cool about this. When you do it God's way and you put your faith in God, you get your children back. What happened right here with Jochebed, that's Moses' uh, mom's name. You, you get your child back. He's now protected. You get paid for it. He gets adopted. He gets to become a prince of Egypt. He gets to go to all of the wonderful private schools Egypt has to offer. He gets to learn from the king of Egypt. He learns leadership. He learns the, how the Egyptian mind works. He gets to sit at the king's table, eating the king's food, all of that stuff. Because Moses' parents chose to put their faith in God when times were darkest. Knowing that God is working behind the scenes, both in the big and in the small. Now, I want to uh, read two verses and then we're done. These last two verses, these will be the verses we're going to pick up on next week. And I want you to read Exodus chapter 2 next week for some homework. This is what it says. The Israelites continued to groan. Everybody groan for me. Uh, y'all, sounds good. Sounds like you're going, when is this going to be over? All right. The Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God, and God heard their... Ugh. All right? And he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looked down upon the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to... And everybody say that last word. Act. Let me tell you. God is waiting to act on your behalf, even during your dark times, but you got to cry out to Him. You've got to put your faith in Him, and you got to put Him first. There's three things I, I get from this story of the first two chapters of Exodus. And the first one is this. First, hard times don't remove God's promises. Even though you may feel like God has abandoned you and forgotten you, and it's 400 years past your prime, God hasn't forgotten His promises to you. When God makes a promise, he doesn't forget it, and he always pulls through in his time. In his time. You know, even though I love Garth Brooks, his song, God Answers, Doesn't Answer Unanswered Prayers, is jacked up, messed up theology. Because let me tell you, God answers every prayer. He either answers it with yes, no, thank you, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. There are no unanswered prayers. Second is this, hard times don't escape God's attention. 
Some of you, you've been crying out to God and you feel like that God has forgotten you and he's not hearing you and you believe he's involved in the bigs of your life, but the smalls, eh, maybe not that much. Let me tell you, God wants to be involved in your life as you want him to be involved in your life. He wants to be involved in every minute detail. That fight that you've had with your spouse, the, that your children don't want to listen and obey, God wants to be there for you. Guarantee it. All right? He cares for you very deeply. And lastly is this. Hard times don't overshadow God's concern. Hard times don't overshadow God's concern. God is still looking out for you. And you better believe, even through those dark, difficult, alone times where you feel like you're walking alone in the darkness, you're not. He has never left you. One of the very first uh, Bible verses I've ever memorized was Isaiah 41.10. It says this. God is speaking. He says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen, I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Paul writes it like this in Romans chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? Can death or life or angels or demons or principalities or heaven or hell? And eventually he says, nothing. You better believe God hasn't left you. God will never leave you, even though your times are dark. Let me answer a couple of questions and then I'll be done. First one says this, uh, thank you, needed this message today. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> this one, trials make us stronger. It's awful during the storm till he claims it, till he calms it, excuse me. But we come out closer, leaned on the Lord and stronger spiritually, possibly with thicker skin too. We are going to trust God and not question his plan. And I got to be honest with you, that's difficult to do. It's very difficult to do. But know this. Know that God, even though your life feels like it's just coming apart at the seams, God is working behind the scenes in the big and the small of your life. That God wants a relationship with you. And that relationship comes through His Son. And what's amazing about that is how we get eternal life, how we get this relationship has nothing to do with how good we are. It has nothing to do with whether we come to a certain church. It has nothing to do with whether we pray so much times or we rub beads or anything like that. Let me tell you, 1 John 5 and 11 12 says this. This is the testimony of God. God is giving us eternal life, and this life is through His Son. That's how we get eternal life. So my prayer for you as I close... Do you know Him? Even in the dark, difficult times of your life, do you know that God is right there beside you? Because He will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me pray for you.